1 Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Let's stand together as we sing, He is exalted.
If you'll join me in prayer, and then we're going to continue our time of music worship. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come today. And Father, in a world that's very chaotic, and a lot of drama, and Father, a lot of serious issues, it is good to be able to come together in this place and enjoy your peace. And Father, I pray that in the midst of all of this, we will be sensitive to the power of your Spirit. We will listen to what your Spirit says, and Father, through what your Word says, we would live lives focused upon you and not everything else, and yet stand firm for our Christian beliefs. This morning we come to be rekindled and re-energized, empowered, and Father, we're going to give you the honor and praise and glory that only you deserve. And as we sing the songs of the faith, and as we hear from your Word, and are responsive in our hearts, God, that is an act of worship as you prepare us and challenge us for this next week of ministry. So God, today is your day. We give it to you in our minds and our hearts and humility. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
glad we had the words up there because I think I caught most of those first five verses. Let me tell you that uh, around the world today, it helps us to remember that people are worshiping in languages that we don't know. And the word of God is being proclaimed virtually in every country of the world. The truth, the absolute truth. So thank you for bringing that and highlighting that. We appreciate that so much. If we look at the 77th Psalm. We find a psalmist who was going through a difficult time. He was discouraged. Discouragement, I believe, is probably the common cold of our emotions. I'm sure there has been some point in your life where you've been discouraged, depressed even. I believe that whether it was in the past, whether you might be going through some discouragement now, or there will be discouragement ahead. Because discouragement comes from all kinds of sources or reasons, things that happen to us or happen to people that we love dearly. It affects us all eventually. Elijah, God's Iron Man of the Old Testament, 1 Kings 19, 4, says, he became so discouraged that he wanted, and he did, go and sit under a juniper tree and he prayed to die. And that was after his mighty victory on Mount Carmel. Jesus himself in Mark chapter 8 and verse 12 sighed, the scripture says, deep within his spirit. The apostle Paul had so many difficult experiences in Asia as he was striving to communicate the gospel that he said, I have despair even of life in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. That word despair is interesting. It means to be at an utter loss. The circumstances Paul faced seemed to be so hopeless he couldn't even find or see a way out at that time. Some of the, the greatest believers in the history of Christendom have gone through very difficult and discouraging times. Even Winston Churchill, who was the Prime Minister of England during World War II, he said that he was often hound by that black dog of despair. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, perhaps the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul in the 19th century, in spite of his sparkling wit and his humor, he fought continual bouts of depression as a result of gout, and it finally killed him at the age of 58. We may believe that we are spiritual giants, but there are times when even spiritual giants, and those that are mature in the faith, and we face the discouraging days. I want you to know if you're battling discouragement in some way, or as uh, the songs say, singing the blues, it might help you to know that you're not the only one. And it might help you to know that the psalmist who wrote Psalm 77, 
He understood your feelings and your emotions. The man that we meet here in the 77th Psalm bore all the marks of depression, or at least discouragement. Uh, he was looking, as you read through the Psalm, as we heard we read through it, he was looking at life through the dark colored glasses. It seemed as if he continued to be dialing heaven's number in prayer, and the line was continually busy. He felt like he was forsaken and forgotten by God. You look at those first five verses, and it seems like somebody who is crying out and begging, I need help. In our men's Bible study this past week, we talked a little bit about discouragement. There are just times that even guys who like to hide their feelings and their emotions down deep inside, and we don't want them to come out. But within our minds and our hearts, whether we say it out loud or, or, out loud or not, there is that at times come. And we need to understand that. In search for his answers to his problems, we find that he couldn't, he couldn't sleep, and so he counted the days of the past rather than counting sheep. <clears throat> he was unable to articulate his thoughts due to his emotional exhaustion. He was so tired, he says, he couldn't even speak. We find that he remembered he used to be happy. There used to be a song in his heart. But today, as he's writing, that song was long gone. He was living in retrospect, and he was searching. He even began to question God. As you go through verses 7 through 9, <coughs> we find that, uh, that he had questions. And questions never seem to be lacking, do they, when we're discouraged, when we're depressed, when we find ourselves up against incredible odds and we don't know what to do. Has God rejected his people? Does he no longer care for his people? Has he lost his compassion? And the writer goes on, but these are sharp, piercing questions directed toward God and communicated to all of us. I think the questions came from a heart that thought God could, but that he wasn't intervening the way the psalmist felt like he should. He knew God could, but he wasn't doing it for him. And so he was asking the question, why me, God? I don't know if you've ever asked that question or not. We know it's not the best question to ask, but you know what? God's pretty big. I think he can handle any of the questions that we have. He can handle any Thing that we throw at him in the time of our discouragement and our depression as we're striving to seek answers. The psalmist's primary concern was the absence of any sign of God's compassion in his life and any power in his life. It felt like he was just turning his wheels 
even as a psalmist, a worship leader. There seems to be a progression in such emotional experiences. Despair begins with disappointment that's not handled constructively. So when you find yourself disappointed, if you don't handle that in the right way, it ultimately can lead to despair. And I think it's kind of a pattern like this. First, we get disappointed. And if it's not handled correctly, then that leads to discouragement. And discouragement can lead to doubt. And doubt can lead to depression. And depression can lead to despair. You see, disappointment that leads to doubt is therefore the father of despair. We don't want to get to despair. We want to handle our disappointments at the very beginning and not let them progress. Some, like the psalmist, question God's divine ability to do anything with their problems or their problems. And it's a condition the psalmist was in. He was at the doubting stage of this process. He had had disappointment, he was discouraged, and now he began doubting if God cared for him. Here are all those questions in, chapter, in verses seven through nine. But then the psalmist came to a saving insight, and this is what we have to hold on to. In verse 10, he said, to this I will appeal. Off he goes. It's an amazing statement. Here he recognized the problem was with himself and not with God. He was lashing out at God with all those questions he didn't understand, but he began to understand then. I will appeal. In other words, I'm going to reflect. I come to the place where I recognize the problem is with me and not with God. God is still there. And he realized that his doubts were due to his own weakness, not to God's negligence. At this point, he determined to do something about his discouragement. He saw the discouragement, he recognized it, he, he realized it was within himself, and so he wanted to take the steps and determine as an act of his will to take the steps to move out of that discouragement. In fact, four times in verses 10 through 12, he says, I will. He gives a list. Here's what I'm going to do. I will, I will, I will, I will. There are steps to action that this psalmist, in the midst of his discouragement, says, I'm going to take. Listen, we do not, uh, we are not helpless victims of our emotions. We don't have to be hijacked by our attitude. We can take action. You see, our thoughts govern our moods, and therefore, if we think right, we're going to feel right, even in the midst of our most discouraging times. Most discouragement that leads on to depression or could arises from erroneous thinking. We're not thinking correctly or right. You see, we have within us the power to change and control our thoughts. Jesus spends good time in his teaching on making sure that we have control of our thoughts. 
throughout the letters of the New Testament, and even if you go back into the Proverbs, there is a lot about holding on to the thoughts, your mind, making sure it's razor sharp, and you don't let it become erroneous. We have to come to a place to say, you know what? I'm going to make up my mind. I'm in discouragement, and, and I don't know necessarily all the details of why I'm discouraged, but God, I realize I don't need to lash out at you, but what I need to do is I need, I need answers, and I'm going to take and determine the steps to do that. So you might say in your heart, I'm going to conquer this. I am not going to let this season of discouragement get the best of me. I'm going to proactively take the steps that are necessary. And then you keep saying it. You say it again. You say it a thousand times if necessary. But never give up and never give in on fighting that discouragement. <clears throat> How are we as Christians to cope with the disappointments in life? Because we're promised that they will come. Everybody faces them. I think that we see in the fourth division of this psalm, which is verses 11 through 20, the psalmist told, told us what he did. Here's how he got out of that time of discouragement. And I think if we look at his example, we ourselves can find the ways, the steps, the determination to get out of those gloomy days. I think we can learn three valuable truths. And I think we can learn them to handle the discouragement and the depression in our lives. First, we have to look in the book. Memory is one of man's greatest assets, but it must be used with selectivity and with discipline. The psalmist had been remembering in his sleepless nights and his troubled nights, the things that he had been looking at were not helping him. His constant thought was on the things that were negative, dark, those were not the steps. I think keeping, as we really strive to understand that the memories led him into a deeper difficulty. And I think that many times is the problem, that we have too much time to think about what our problems are or what the discouragement is. And we overthink it, and as we overthink it, it turns us into a very pessimistic, negative let me give you an example. Um, several years ago, I was really tuned in, still am, just in a different way, but very tuned in to the things going on in our country. And there's a particular news, uh, national news station that I would watch, and they would always be talking about uh, all the political things that were going on. And man, it would just get my dander up, and I would just get frustrated. And, and here, you know, you, you probably have felt that once or twice. And so what I finally decided to do is I'm going to stop watching it. Doesn't mean I'm not gonna be informed because I have a lot of other ways to inform myself of what's going on in, in our country and in the world, but I'm gonna start stop watching that. And you know, it wasn't very long until I had this sense of peace. And what was happening? I was so concentrated on everything that was going on and that they were saying that I couldn't do a thing about and it just stirred me up. Now, I want you to be clear. I didn't walk away 
from the issues in our nation. I just focused a different direction to where it did not consume me. When we have things in our lives that come our direction, whatever they are, it might be an illness, could be a financial issue, could be family related, kids, grandkids. When something comes across us and causes us discouragement, I want to share that if all we do is focus on that, it will control us. And it will lead us down a path that is very discouraging. Because that's special, and if it's negative. Listen, we can be crippled by that. But listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. And so Paul's saying, listen, be informed. But in your own life, as you are striving to honor God and stay in, in constant contact with Him, these are the things that you need to think about. You need to think about the things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, those things that are praiseworthy and excellent. Think about them and put them into action. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you will do that, and you'll replace all those other things you were thinking about, that cause discouragement with actions in your life or actions that follow each one of these commands. It will change your thinking. I think realizing the same truth, the psalmist stated that he would remember, he would think on the great deeds of the Lord and the miraculous wonders of old, according to verses 11 and 12. And so here he's made a major step He's been so discouraged, wanting to give up, questioning, doubting God and his abilities. And he came to the realization that it wasn't God, it was himself. That what was consuming him and causing the sleepless nights and causing the discouragement and the gloom were things that he was thinking that were negative. And he doesn't really say what it is. But that's what was creating the discouragement and the depression that is evident in those first five verses. And so he took a stand and realized and said, this is what I'm determined to do. I'm going to think about the things of God of old, not the problems that are overwhelming. One approach I think that can help us deal with our discouragement is to study God's word and recall his works of other days in our lives. You get into God's work, his word says these are the things that have happened that show we can trust him. We hold on to what his word says and we also recall the times when he has worked powerfully in our own lives. Sometimes we forget those forget those encounters that we were actually able to sit down some with someone who was really going through a hard time maybe in years past and just talk with them and encourage them and 
help them get out of some very difficult times in their life. We forget about the times that we uh, have shared Christ with others. The times that we didn't have any other option. We could not control anything, and God's presence and His Spirit intervened in our life. And we were just in awe. Sometimes those experiences we can just put to the side and we only concentrate on the difficulty that we have. He says, this is what I'm going to do. Remembering God's deeds in the past as they are related to Scripture, recalling what God has done in and through his people of Israel, I think that can strengthen our faith for today because we're focused on the positive things. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The word of Christ, that is the word of God. The message that we need to hear and the message that we need to communicate is the positive message of Christ. And that faith, our faith will be lifted high. So we've got to stop remembering the negative things of the past, we must not stop remembering God's works in the Bible. We've got to come back to his word that we have grown up on and that we have kept close and near and dear to our heart and say, this is what God has done. So in the midst of my discouragement right now, I've got to go back and remember and trust what his word says and remember how he has touched my life. For instance, we all have a spiritual history, a spiritual biography if we've given our lives to Christ. We go back and we look at that spiritual biography. Dickens, in his story, The Haunted Man, had the chemist pray, Lord, keep my memory green. Don't forget the time that you gave your life to Jesus Christ and the joy and the assurance and the security that came as a result of your decision to follow Christ. Don't forget the deliverance God has brought to you in your life. I cannot tell you how many times in just a short period of a few months after my transplant, kidney transplant, how we didn't know what was going to happen next in a lot of different ways and how God came and he intervened. We didn't know where money was coming from. We didn't know what was going to happen as far as the medical procedures ahead. We had no clue and we didn't have any control over any of that. God was not early and he was not late. We have to remember how God has delivered us. So don't let your memory of God's mighty deeds and scripture in your own life, don't let it fade. Second is to keep an attitude of gratitude. So you gotta get in the book, live in the book. Second is to keep an attitude of gratitude. Here the psalmist uh, focused on what God had done in the past. That was his focus. 
And he got so excited about it that in verses 13 and 14, he sang a glorious song. He said, what God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. Wait a second. Just a few verses before that, was he not discouraged? But it all changed. And now he's singing a song. Out, out of his despair, he no longer looked at his miserable circumstances. Whatever they were, he looked at God. And that uplook brightened his outlook. And in his gloom, he looked up and he cheered up. Even in his despair, he kept an attitude of praise. Meaning that even in the midst of the dark times, we can still praise God. Keeping an attitude of gratitude can be redemptive to any one of us. I think one of the things that helps us from doing this to stop pouting, feeling sorry for ourselves, and start praising. I think it can turn our down days into praising days. Rather than just prolong our time of grief and discouragement, we turn and say, listen, I, I know these circumstances are here, but God always says he will be with us, and he is to be praised. It's easy to rejoice in the times of prosperity when everything is going right. But we've got to learn to thank God when everything is going to pot. God wants us to rejoice in him and not our circumstances. In him not our circumstances. Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who strengthens. Paul said, listen, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. I've had my times of discouragement. And he had his times of life-threatening events more than anybody that I know. But he learned the secret. Whether he had plenty or whether he didn't have much at all. The secret of being content is to focus on God and not the circumstances. Because in everything, I can do it all through him who strengthens me. It's the him part. Concentrate and rejoice in him. You see, God is just as real in our defeats as he is in our victories. He is just as close in our sicknesses as he is in our health. God is just as near in the times of sorrow as he is in the times of joy. God is always present. No matter what our circumstance, we must concentrate on him. Because he will walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. He will help us to get through those difficult times. And so we need to keep our eye on the right thing. More people rejoice in their successes than they rejoice in the God who gave them those successes. Jesus taught the 72 who went out and met with such great success. He said in Luke 10, 20, 
that you should not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. His focus was saying, listen, this was great, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name's written in the book. We must not find our joy in our success, but in our relationship with him. Because I tell you, the time will come when we go out and the spirits will not submit to our authority. And we're going to say, okay, God, they did it before. What's going on now? But I want you to understand that we will still, even in the midst of that, we will still be in a right relationship with him. And that's where our joy should be. As I promise you, when you go out and you work for God, you're not always going to be successful. But if you have a right relationship with him, it will always be right. We've got to learn to be happy with God himself. Not only with the gifts and the benefits that he gives us, we need to be rejoicing in him. I think for many of us, while discouragement and depression, some of those things can be caused by a chemical imbalance in our, in our systems, our health. And for those occasions, you definitely need medication to get those chemicals in, back in balance. My father dealt with depression a good part of his life after World War II. And, uh, and it was a chemical imbalance, and I tell you what, the medication they were able to get him, even in those days, balanced things to where he was able to function and pastor for 40 years. So some of that discouragement and depression, that's where it comes from, and you need help there. You need people to talk with and walk beside you and help you to, to move forward in that area. We're blessed here to have Dr. Hornaker with us, us on our staff as a pastoral counselor. He's here to be open to help our folks, each one of us in our times of discouragement, to walk us through and to help us to see the focus of Christ and how we can deal with the issues surrounding that could become so debilitating. So, Dr. Hornaker, thank you. It is such a critical aspect. I do want to say that some of our depression, some of our discouragement, it is and does arise not from a chemical imbalance, from erroneous thinking. I mentioned that before. We have power within us to control the thoughts that bring about the needless gloom that we sometimes face. My dad used to call it, with his depression, or describe it like a deep, dark well with no hope of getting out. But you know, he functioned at a high level in ministry and had a happy disposition most of the time, even when he battled he strove to work through it in his mind and his heart with the help, obviously, of that occasion. For many, the attitude of gratitude can help. 
our focus moves away from the darkness and the gloom to what God has done for us and focus upon God himself. The third thing, and I need to quickly finish up here, is to learn to lead. I'm sorry, learn to lead. As the psalmist reflects on God's works, he remembers some very important works of God. In fact, if you go on through the, uh, the, the latter part of this chapter, you find that he begins to talk about uh, God dealing with the sea, the Red Sea. You remember the Israelites, through Moses and Aaron, led them out of Egypt and their bondage, led them to the Red Sea. Pharaoh decided to change his mind. He didn't like that. And so they were hard after them. And here we come to an impasse. And he describes it to some degree. He says, the water is before. The Egyptian army is behind. On either side are mountains or hills that you cannot escape from. What are we going to do? And the people started grumbling, if you remember. The people started grumbling and said, ah, oh, we should have stayed there. In fact, we probably ought to put a, tack, a, a track together that we'll do even more work for the Egyptians just to save our lives. And as he described it, he says, God stepped out and the waters almost in sheer terror moved to the side. You can describe it however you want. But it was the power of God working in his servant Moses to clear the way for the Israelites to walk across on dry ground. The Egyptians, they were not so fortunate. He goes on to describe the scene. And I thought it was interesting because you don't see that description very often. He talks about the wind. He talks about the rain, the thunder, the lightning, the sunshine, the storm. All of that was coming down upon the Israelites. But God led them. And significantly, verses 19 and 20, the psalmist makes an astonishing statement. He said that though God had led the people on dry ground through the sea and through the storm, he said, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And I would like to highlight and underscore that phrase, though your footprints were not seen. The psalmist saying that God led and leads even when we cannot see him or his footprints. He led through his servants Moses and Aaron. And I think the truth here is that God's leading is often invisible and imperceptible. His footprints are often unseen, but they're there, regardless. What we come to is we find that in our times of discouragement, we've got to learn to lean on the God who we cannot touch with our hand, who sometimes may not whisper to us. In times of discouragement, we've got to lean on God in faith. We need to believe in his leading, even though we cannot see his footprints in the dust, or that we can't feel his hand on our shoulder, or we don't hear him whispering 
voice to our ears. May the Lord, may the Lord deliver us from the sensuality of always wanting a feeling. Feelings, they can be erratic. There's some mornings I get up and I say, oh, wow, what a great day. Some mornings I get up and say, oh, I don't feel so good. Well, does that change God? That change much? No, no. It's just we can't rely on those. We've got to learn to pray, Lord, even though I don't feel you today, I trust and I know that you are with me. <coughs> it's the footprints that we don't see, but the knowledge and the truth that God is with us. So we become discouraged and we feel that God is not with us, we've got to believe and trust that even in those times, he's walking us and strengthening us. There's a song that we sing often. I'd love to sing it for you, but I think with my sinus draining, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do that. But listen, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. You translate whatever befall me, that means anything that happens. Any difficulty, any discouragement, that he is there. And he's going to do the right thing and the best thing for us. And we must not concentrate on our victories and successes or our circumstances. We work through them, but we concentrate on the one, on him, who will guide us through those most difficult times. We can handle discouragement three ways. Look to the book. Remember God's works from the past, both from the scriptures, but also from your own experience, how God has intervened in your life. Secondly, keep an attitude of gratitude. Praise God, no matter what you're facing. And number three, learn to lean. Trust God when you can't see him working. Trust him. That's not easy. And yet, scripture is very Trust the God who is going to be with you regardless. Reach out to your friend who in confidence can help you step by step. Reach out to our staff, to Dr. Horniger. Reach out in those difficult times and say, you know what? I just, I, this, there's something going on. I cannot quite grasp. But I want somebody to walk with me and help me. We can open not have to live under a cloud. We do not have to live in perpetual discouragement. Father, this morning, we look at a psalmist 
who represents so many in our Christian history, and probably everybody in this worship center, when he dealt with the times of discouragement, and he questioned and he doubted. Father, he saw the insight. He, he praised you. There's no God like you. Even though the circumstances had not diminished, he realized it was himself, not you. God, you're always there for us. And this morning, I pray that you will help us to trust you. Any difficulty that we might face, any discouragement, God, I pray that we will deal with it constructively and not let it lead all the way to despair. We are your joint heirs with Jesus Christ, your children. decisions will be made and the hearts of people in pews. But God, this is a difficult time. But I trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. In our invitation, I'll be at the front if there's any decision you want to make publicly. I encourage you to come. But as we sing this song, please reflect on what the psalmist said. Where there are adjustments or commitments, and the times that he said, I'm going to determine to do this, I will, I will, I will, I will, four times. Maybe make your determination today. Let's stand and sing.